0: Four hundredths of a second. Like in your life, that's nothing. So there'd be this push and pull where you don't want to discredit how hard you've been working. And I and I mentor a couple of young athletes where what I always tell them is I, I say it matters, but it means nothing.
1: Can you believe it? 700 episodes. Almost six years of doing interviews with guests from all over the world, listeners especially from all over the world, and now we're at 700 episodes. Unreal. And to celebrate, we're going to do something a little bit different. This was actually a recent idea from one of our listeners who wrote in. Derek, you know who you are. He wrote in just to say how much the show meant to him and how much it has helped him and his family stay active, try new things, and just continue to get out there and hear perspectives from people from all sorts of abilities and all sorts of walks of life on this show. And it gave us the idea, gave Derek the idea to reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to hear how other people have been inspired by this show. So here's what we're gonna do. If we get enough people to submit a story about how the Adventure Sports Podcast has encouraged them, challenged them, or or made them want to change their lifestyle like it has me, and it had the other two hosts that host this. If you don't remember, there used to be two other hosts. This show was so impactful on their lives that they changed their lifestyle and could no longer host the show, and that's where I came in a few years ago. That's the effect of the Adventure Sports Podcast. So if you are out there, the show has affected you. Has it helped you through a hard time? Helped helped you through a great time and, and make it even better. We'd love to hear from you. And here's what we're here's how we're going to do that. You got your phone. Pull out your voice memo app, just the voice recorder. Uh, you can do this on your phone or your laptop. Just record into the microphone two to three minutes, whatever, however long it takes to tell your story about how this show has has benefited you and uh, submit it to our email. You can send it to either info at com or mason at com, and just mail email it over. You can use we WeTransfer um, or just attach it via, I don't know, however you do it, send it over and uh, we're going to stitch it together for an episode. Not sure when exactly it will air. It will depend on how many people submit, but I think it'd be awesome. The Voice Memo app on your phone typically has a really, really good clear audio that I've done this before with my other show, Without Compromise, and it worked really, really well. And speaking of Without Compromise, uh, today's episode comes from that. It's through my day job with Athletic Brewing Company, where we interview people in the athletic brewing community who are essentially living pretty incredible lives. And today we are talking to Kalen Richardson. This episode's from right at the beginning of winter when the snow first started falling but she's a two-time Olympian skier she is awesome she is super positive she is somebody that just makes your day better after you talk to them and so you will absolutely enjoy this interview with her and I hope you continue to be inspired and don't forget submit how the show has helped you uh, record it on your phone and then email it to me info at adventuresportspodcast.com Kaylin Richardson, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, it's so great to be here, Mason. Thanks for having me.
1: Where are you coming from today? Where's uh, where's home for you?
0: I live in Park City, Utah, and I'm looking out at the snow. out at, uh, I live on the mountainside, a little bit outside Park City. Um, and I grew up in Minnesota, but the mountains are really my happy place. So I feel so lucky that, um, especially now more than ever, that I get to live um, in my office and my playground, which is the mountains.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So, so winter is already upon Park City.
0: Yes. Yes. It's, it's came early this year and it stuck around and it was, it's been, it's actually been such a blessing, right? Because those shoulder seasons, I love fall. I love the changing of the colors. I love when that Christmas in there, but then there's a couple of weeks where it's just kind of gray and cold and the leaves are gone and I'm just ready for the snow, that amount of time here in Utah was very, very short. It's like the snow boom came. And when the snow comes, it's like I get energy. You know, sometimes people get a seasonal dis- dis- associative disorder or something where they get bummed. I get that in the summertime. When it's really warm, I get summer doldrums where I'm like, it's so hot, I start to wilt. But when it gets cold and the snow comes, I just, you'll see my energy level just spikes and I'm wow. so excited
1: i've never i've honestly never heard someone say it for the summer um, yeah you're you're, it's true. you're like a non-alcoholic beer personality yes i like totally
0: i totally am i absolutely am. People are like, you're kidding right you don't really get like you don't really get more excited for winter And i'm like no i absolutely do and in the summer don't get me wrong like i so there isn't as much water in utah that's the one thing that it doesn't have going for mm, it and yep. i've minnesota with these beautiful lakes right so The one nice thing about a super hot, humid summer, which Minnesota has in spades, is that you get to be on the water, and that's amazing. But since we don't have water as much here in Utah, it just gets really hot, and I just – yeah, I just kind of get – like, even my husband's like, oh, summer doldrums. So I know when it's happening, so I'll pull myself out of it. But, um, yeah, the winter – I. I even start talking faster. So forgive me because it's winter time. <laughs> I talk fast anyway. So I'm probably just going to be like talking a mile in a minute because I'm so excited. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Well, you know, what's funny is another quick tangent. It's like with, with so many things canceled in 2020, I, I keep get like, it keeps hitting me over and over. I don't know if it's just kind of everything is in this kind of postpone mode or like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? But nature keeps happening and winter, you know, seasons keep changing and it, and it keeps hitting me like, oh yeah, duh. Like nature doesn't have to stop. (laughs) Like, like the leaves change, the snow comes that, that has nothing to do with this. It's, it's refreshing that that is still going to happen no matter what. And the fact that it's, you know, brings you so much energy is pretty awesome.
0: It is. And I think you, you really hit the nail on the head that the one thing that you can count on is mother nature, right? That, COVID's been happening longer than I think most people would have guessed back in February, right? And, but time still passes, right? and you and there's still things to celebrate. Can you imagine just if it just stayed the same, and all of a sudden you look at your watch, and you think, oh, eight months have passed, and nothing's really changed. At least the seasons have changed. Sometimes I think about people in Southern California, which is lovely, like 75 degrees and sunny. That's not a bad place to live, bad climate, but I love the way that the seasons change. It, it, it just did, um, It invigorates me.
1: You know, growing up, you grew up in Minnesota and I know you kind of just mentioned that, but you know, what, what, what was the skiing culture like there? What were kind of the goals and, 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 you know, you obviously fell in love with it there, but were you pushed to or did you just kind of find it yourself?
0: You make a very good point. So Minnesota, I have so much Minnesota pride. I'd say Minnesotans, we have sneaky state pride. So if anyone from Minnesota is listening to this, they will completely back me up where um, my husband's from Washington State and he's always like, you know, Texas, people love it. And then you'll meet Vermonters where they're quiet, but they're very proud. He's like, Minnesota's sneaky because Minnesota nice is the thing, but we are really, really proud about being from Minnesota. So yes, Minnesota definitely has seasons and you're right. It gets very cold and very hot. Um, And we do have springtime and uh we have a beautiful fall but yes we're definitely known for the extremes uh on on when it comes to seasons but there are no mountains so people are always surprised when i come from minnesota and a lot of really great alpine skiers have come from minnesota but we really don't have mountains we have little hills but we have lots of ski areas so you get a lot of runs and so there was this little ski area i grew up right in the twin cities right outside minneapolis and uh My my family sort of fell into ski ski racing serendipitously. Uh, When you look at the bios of a lot of U.S. ski team athletes, you'll see that they come from a pedigree, whether their parents were, were U.S. ski teamers or pro skiers or ski patrol or were just within the industry. I'd say that more often than not, that's what you'll find. That was not my family. I'm not trying to discredit my family. We're, we're plenty athletic, but ski racing was not on our radar. My dad loved to ski recreationally. And so that's what we went on one ski trip every season. And I've two older brothers and my parents kind of said, Oh, ski racing is a varsity sport at my public high school. So that when we kind of aged out of this community free skiing program called ski jammers. They looked up that there was team Goboa, um, which is the ski team about 10 minutes from where I grew up on this teeny hill called Highland Hills. That's 175 foot vertical. It is very, very small. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the good way of me explaining how small it is, is that in the summertime, it's a driving range and decent golfers will drive right over the hill. And that's not an exaggeration. I've seen it multiple times. So you don't need a lot. It just like repetition. So we just started ski racing and I was a huge tag along. And so when my brother started doing it within a year, I followed suit and I just kind of took to it right away. I loved the feeling of freedom. I think that anyone that skied, whether they're the most novice or the most advanced can say that what you feel is the same. It doesn't matter how good you are, but when you get a little bit of that taste of that exhilaration and the wind in your face and maybe a little bit of adrenaline, it's uh, it's kind of addictive.
1: You know, I, I just love hearing folks aspire to such a such a level. You have coming from the places, you know, somewhere like Minnesota, where it isn't it isn't a Colorado or a Utah or or, or a California or even a Vermont. You know, it's lesser known. <laughs> what, what was your talent? I don't know. Pretty evident early on, or or was it? You know what I mean? Like, who are you comparing yourself to in that area?
0: Oh yeah. So I kind of was able to compare myself to the very best. So Lindsay Vaughn who kind of transcends ski racing, which is just, I could say she's a household name. Now I'm going to say that I'm going to claim that for her. Uh, She and I are the same age, and she grew up at Buck Hill, which is only about 35 minutes from where I grew up, right outside the Twin Cities in a place called Burnsville. Just they were on the east side of the Twin Cities, and we were on the west side. Um, That, like, that's really all that it comes down to. Um, And Lindsay and I are the same age, and so she was a prodigy. Like, I remember when I was nine years old watching her ski race and being like, "Wow!" (laughs) I was not a prodigy. I was I was plenty athletic. I think that. Uh, definitely. I had a, I had a decent amount of success when I was little, but I wasn't, I, no one, I don't think anyone would have looked at me as a nine or 10 year old and been like, Oh, she's Olympic bound. You know, I just, that wasn't happening with Lindsay. That definitely was happening where people are like, well, if she continues on this trajectory, she'll be the most winningest female ski racer in history, which she is. Um, but for me, it was more that like, she's pretty good. She has some promise. Like she works hard. And I definitely, from a very young age, Team was a big part of the um, ethos of the program is just hard work, just putting it in and a lot of character building. And that really supported who I was and who I am, really. Um, so, yeah, it was just about putting in the time. And I was always bigger for my age and tall and and fairly athletic. So I just kept moving up the ranks. And just like any sport, you continue to move up the ranks. You race regionally and then sort of in your whole division of the central and central would kind of go with the Rocky mountains. So we'd go to Colorado for races. And then, um, I made the, the, the national junior team, they called it the development team at the end of my freshman year of high school. Um, so sophomore, junior and senior year, I was racing with the US ski team at, the, at that time.
1: When were the Olympics in your sights? How, how early on would you say?
0: Yeah, definitely. So even when I first made the junior, the national junior team, I was still a bit of an underdog where I think that, um, there was a couple things that went into it. The two coaches at the time were both from Minnesota originally, which was amazing. John Ethan and Todd Brixon. So, or they'd spent time in the Midwest. So they knew where I, where I hailed from where they said, wow, this girl has a lot of talent. And she's really trained on teeny tiny hills. She hasn't had big mountainous training, which definitely does help. Um, And so that helped. But I just, they also saw how coordinated I was off the hill and how hard, how hard, it's funny to say that you're a hard worker because it just sounds like I could see people rolling their eyes at home being like, oh, wow, she really thinks she's a big deal. But it's true. I had to work hard because it wasn't like it always came natural. Um, So uh, I think that that helped. But it was my, um, long story short, my senior year of high school, I had a breakthrough Uh, I changed some of my technique. And that really made me a lot faster that year. And that year was when I really kind of looked, So that was 2003. And I was thinking the 2006 Olympics, you know, we're in three years. And because I went from the junior team to the B team. So I kind of um, hopscotched over the C team, since there's the ABC and the development team, the D team. Um, So that was a huge, that was my biggest breakthrough year. And at the end of when I graduated from high school, I said, I think that The Torino Olympics, the 2006 Olympics are, are within range. And so I started to dedicate myself and really look to that as that, that was the goal that I was, that I was pushing towards.
1: What did it feel like to make the Olympics? Is it a moment that you're approved? Is it, you know what I mean? Is it like this letter in the mail? Like what, you you obviously have to qualify. Like what, what was yeah. that like?
0: So every sport's different. Um, ski racing is interesting because we don't have like a time trials. It's not like track and field or swimming where there's an Olympic trials. It is cumulative um, results from about six months before the games. There is a qualifying period. And so it's basically... The months before the Olympics. So um it's, you know, the race races start a bit in October. So October, the races in October, November, December, January, and into mid-January. The cutoff's like I think the second or third week of January. So how you do in those races will dictate if you make the games. But then there is certain criteria that if you won a World Cup the year before um the season before and then did certainly well during that that criteria time then that will help like move you in race because you know there's there's a lot that can occur um in that kind of period of time and if you were handily winning world cups the year before and then maybe we're making like top tens and someone hadn't won there's all different i haven't actually looked at it that closely because i wasn't winning world cups i knew what i needed to do to make it um so it's a I would say that that season those couple months before an Olympics are very very intense. They to start because there's only so many races where where it counts to make to make the Olympics and you might have had the best season of your life the year before but if you're not necessarily getting those results a couple months before they they name the team um it doesn't matter. So there and also it's 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 funny cuz it's a team sport in some ways but it's not. It's a completely individual sport but you travel as a team. So I didn't say that very well, like we're on the U S ski team, but it's an individual sport. Mm -hmm. And the people that you're basically like my best friends in the world that I travel with, that I room with that are basically like sisters, they become your largest competition to get an Olympic birth. And that's also something that's very hard to navigate because in a perfect world, we'd all go because my teammates worked really hard. I also worked hard, but they were just, there were many of them that were just as deserving. Right. And that's heartbreaking uh, and it's, it's tough to work through, but um, luckily um, I was able to make it two times in my career and I'm so lucky. And, and also I did a lot of events, which I definitely think was helpful um, but once they do, once they have these meetings and you know that they're gonna tell you whether you made it or not. And when they tell you that um you and you kind of know. So when uh, especially for Torino, I I was pretty sure that the results I had were gonna put me on for the combined, which is downhill and solemn together, which are the two opposite ends of the spectrum, the fastest event in Alpine Ski Racing and then the most technical. Um so, but still, when they tell you because I wasn't a shoe-in, it's just this flood of emotions, like you're overwhelmed. When I made it in 2010, I burst into tears. But when I made it in two thousand six, I think I just was super giddy. It's it's a really amazing feeling.
1: That's so cool, so cool. So so after you know representing the U S. in a couple different Olympics, you you you're a veteran in a lot of ways, lots of experience. What 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 can you tell folks like the literally the ninety nine point nine percent of us that'll never experience that? <laughs> some, uh, <laughs> some some maybe some highs of being an Olympic athlete, and and maybe also some misconceptions about what it's really like.
0: Yeah. Um, I'd say that for me, the high was kind of since now the listeners are a little bit, uh, familiar with my background because I, I wasn't a phenom just making the Olympics was so big to me. I didn't, when I was a little girl, cause ski racing wasn't on my family's radar. It's not like I was drawing myself on the top of the podium, holding a pair of skis. Mm. It was more that, but the Olympics was something that I always was aware of and I always loved. So just to be on that team was, that was like, it sounds so cheesy. This is where you can roll your eyes, Mason. It was like my gold medal being on that team. And I'll tell you what, walking into that opening ceremonies, it is so incredible. It's electric. The energy is unlike anything I'll ever experience again in my life, because this is how I explain it to people is that in the opening ceremonies, when you see the parade of nations, every single athlete there, they wouldn't want to be anywhere else in, in the world. And there are very few events you can go to where there are thousands of people and none of them would choose to be anywhere else. You don't, you just don't find that right where there you'll always, there'll be a handful of people that are like, ah, like, I really would rather, like, I'd rather be in Fiji, you know, like who wouldn't, but when you've sacrificed and you've worked so hard the last four years, the last decade, your whole entire life to be at that opening ceremonies and to represent your country and to compete for medals, pretty much every single person be like, yeah, there's no, like, you couldn't put me anywhere else on the planet that I'd rather be. And that's really, really special. And then I think the other thing that's kind of surprising, well, to add on to like the the positives of being an Olympian, also the, the Olympics transcend sport where right after I retired from racing at the end of the 2010 winter, um, I went to Africa for six and a half weeks and was volunteering for a wildlife conservation organization. It was a totally different type of adventure. It was amazing. Um, but I was talking to kids that for them to wrap their heads around skiing is, is like, that is such a stretch, but they'd never even seen snow. So I was trying to tell them, and they spoke English fairly well, but I was trying to explain to them what I what I did as a ski racer, that I was a professional skier. But then when I said I was an Olympian, there was this light bulb that went off and there was this connection because of course, where they're from in South Africa, they they knew what the Olympics were and they, they had, um, national heroes that were Olympians and probably more of the summer variety, but that meant something to them. And it was so cool to be able to share that. Cause I don't even know if they, at the end of our conversation, if they had a better idea of what skiing was, but they looked at me and they're like, you went to the Olympics. That's so cool. And kind of the same sort of questions, like, what's it like? And, you know, I could at least take them on that journey a little bit with me. Um, and then on the negative point, being a pro athlete is awesome and this is not a complaint on any in any way shape or form but it can be very lonely especially being in an individual sport it can be very lonely um, especially when you're not skiing well um, and in some ways that can make you very self-reliant and also give you a lot of perspective but I think that sometimes people are very quick to, criticize or ridicule, especially those at the top, right? The very top of their sport in individual sports, but that's a really lonely place to be in. And, and I, and I can even say I had a little taste of that. I wouldn't say I was ever at the tippity top, but, um, I was able to witness a lot, a lot of those that were, and that's, that can be a really lonely spot. And, um, I think that sometimes people forget that, especially when, when someone doesn't perform and they were expected to, I think especially in the American media, they're very quick to say, oh, you know, they failed. And I was like, no, they didn't fail. They like got third or, you know, they got <laughs> right. top 10. It's just it's just right. funny how we are in the U.S. We're such a winning um, mentality sort of country.
1: <laughs> That's so interesting about like the concept of the Olympics. You know, I, I don't know probably many sports that are even in the Olympics. Like if you told me the name of the sport, I'm like, I, I, I don't know. But if you told me you were an Olympian, you know, at at the very least, what that says or what that illustrates to anyone around the world is that you're at least absolutely excellent at what you do, which is pretty cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it says, you are the best of the best at that thing. It's so much so that your your country is willing to allow you to represent them to do that anywhere in the world. So.
0: Yeah, it was, it's, it's such a gift. It really is a gift. And I mean, in Park City, I swear that you could throw a rock and you'll hit an Olympian. There are a lot of Olympians in Park City, <laughs> um, but it, um, but I will say that I've definitely met people that sometimes I forget. Right where I'll be traveling around the country or around the world, and when people, uh, it's. Uh, like, I don't have the Olympic rings tattooed, and I, and nothing against that. I just, there's nothing on me that would necessarily, like, you'll see, like, I'll see people, you know, every once in a while that have the Olympic rings tattooed on them. And I'm like, Oh, they're an Olympian. Like, it's like a badge of honor. I chose not to do that. And that, that's just me, but I don't have anything that necessarily would, people would be like, Oh, she's an Olympian. But when they find out a lot of people are like, Oh, I've never met an Olympian before. And I can remember being a kid. And it was a big deal to meet an Olympian like that. That was, And I, I'm still, I'm still so humbled because like I said, I know so many athletes that are so deserving, right. But it, it really comes down to, you know, making it happen right before you qualify, whatever sport you're in, whether it's a trials or it's an actual qualifying period. Um, And I would love that for so many more people, because I've seen teammates and friends where when you've been an elite athlete and you've been on a national team, pretty much the first question you'll get from people is like, oh, are you an Olympian? And I'm so blessed that I could say, yeah, I went twice, which is which, which is really awesome. But I've seen athletes that are that have sacrificed and worked so hard, and they're like, well, no, I didn't. And I always get sad for them. <laughs> I don't know how to be a downer. It's just sometimes I'm just like, ah, oh, I wish more. I guess it wouldn't be as big of a deal if more people went. But <laughs> right,
1: right. I do. It'll, I, it'll I do sometimes. Do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That is
1: too funny that there's so many around you. you yeah, yeah, there's not... That's not. That's definitely not everywhere in the country. <laughs> <It's just laughs> no, Olympians. this is like
0: an epicenter, and also it's where the <laughs> Olympics were held. So I think that there's also an element where we have all the we have all the training facilities. So of course, Olympians will sort of end up settling here.
1: So, so at the age of 25, you retired from the competitive side of what what you were doing, and from the Olympics. W- what did it feel like to retire at a pretty young age, f- from what you were doing, or or from knowing that it was going to be competitive and also kind of what was on your radar at that point
0: totally so (laughs) it actually i think a lot of people were really surprised that i retired um in 2010 because i 25 for the level i was skiing at that was pretty young and i was still skiing relatively fast Um, obviously i'd made the olympics that year but I knew in my heart of hearts that I just, I didn't want it enough anymore. And for me to continue to ski for two, three, four more years, another Olympic cycle, maybe I could have still had the same amount of success, but I saw what it took to get to that highest echelon, you know, top fives, top threes. And I just didn't have the desire. And for me, it would have been a compromise to continue to ski, to like ski race, to continue to be on the ski, um, like to try to ski world cup, because it was familiar, right? Where but the life of a ski racer is awesome. And I am so grateful for what the US ski team made possible for me in my career. Uh, but also I knew what that looked like. I'd been on the ski team since for about 10 years at that point. And um, I knew what it felt like to be really successful and I knew what it felt like to be not very fast. And I just wanted new experiences and I still wanted to ski. I still had tons of passion for skiing. So what I did is I retired and I hung up my race boards, but I always was curious about big mountain and backcountry skiing. And also oddly enough, broadcasting. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I like, I just, there were other things I wanted to pursue. Um, other talents I wanted to try out and I wanted to stretch myself in other ways because I kind of, I, you know, I ticked that off. Like the Olympics were my big, big goal. And I didn't feel like I really had left anything that I, that I personally wanted to accomplish where I think other people were surprised where they're like, you still have more you could do. But I was like, no, but for me, that's what I wanted. You know, like I, I'm, I, I accomplished what I set out to do basically. Um, so I took a big departure. I moved to LA and Utah. I split my time between Los Angeles, which is so weird. Cause I never thought that I would really know Los Angeles, but I actually do now. <laughs> and I lived in LA for about two years. And then I'd spent my winter still in Utah. And I sort of started to ski more powder, get a little more radical um, through a a couple different happy events. I got my first Warren Miller movie. And then um, I ended up moving to Park City because I miss the mountains. Like Los Angeles has its purpose and there's some awesome parts and you find your people, but I really miss the mountains. So since 2012, Utah has been home. I always say that I am a Utah local Minnesota native because that Minnesota pride, I still really hold it. Even though my mom would would joke, she's like, do you think you'll ever move back to Minnesota? She'll ask me wistfully and I'll go, No, (laughs) but I love going back. I love going back.
1: Sometimes it it is better to keep it, keep it as a a treat to have, you know, to to visit versus being there all the time.
0: Totally. And I always tell people they can have more more than one home. Like Utah Mm. is definitely home, but Minnesota is still totally home. I think that it's funny. I've had people challenge me and they're like, no, you can only have one home. And I I always say, says who? Like (laughs) who made you the Lord and master of who has whose home?
1: And so it sounds like after the olympics maybe you had more fun
0: oh totally totally i would say that it just it can get i don't want to say the word old the word old but it is to see your sort of for better or worse your self-worth on a on a score not a scoreboard but um like a time like ski racing is very very um objective where it's, if you're fast, you're fast. If you're slow, you're slow. Like there's no, thank goodness. I wasn't in a judge sport. I watch judge sports and it drives me nuts because I'll watch them and I'm like, they were better, you know, but obviously I'm not a judge and a lot of times I don't the sports, but, um, it was so much fun to take we call them the poles that are up when you're downhill Alpine skiing, like to take the poles off the mountain and be able to totally express myself on a mountainside and ski wherever I wanted to ski. And the winter after I retired from racing, which let's be honest, retiring from ski racing when you're 25 uh, it's a euphemism for quitting. So I quit ski racing, but luckily when, <laughs> when you're an elite athlete and you're an Olympian, you can just say, I retired. And people are like, Oh, how old were you? when you retired. When you say 25, they're like, wow, you did really well. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I still had to work. I just was done with ski racing. But what was great about it is that obviously from the many years of building up my technique that really, um, served me well in the big mountains because I could ski very fast and be really comfortable. And I could ski very technical terrain and be very comfortable. Um, and also I, I can hustle, um, getting sponsors, making opportunities happen. Um, just learning from the adversity of being an elite athlete and ski racing is that, uh, you know, someone says, no, if you keep asking at some point, someone else will say yes. <laughs>
1: it's Persistence.
0: Yes, an Olympian. exactly. There yes. Definitely.
1: So, so speaking of that, and speaking of you know mo- moving into other areas of, of your career, what, what attracted you to Athletic Brewing? How, how did you get involved with us?
0: Well, like anything, like good people find good people. So um, I have a friend, um, Adam, that knew um, some people at, at, at Athletic, and Adam and I know each other for years. And he just kind of said to me in passing a couple of years ago, where he's like, "Hey." My friend starting this non-alcoholic brewing company, and I think that you'd be really into it. And I remember at the time being like, "Oh my gosh, definitely want to hear more about it." But then I think another year, year or two, or year and a half passed, and then Adam wrote me another email, or maybe I reached back out and was like, "Hey, what's that all about?" And um, he connected me with Bill and um, some other people with an athletic, and I just love the mentality of it. And I'll say that, especially when I was an athlete. Uh, I'd watch athletes work so hard, especially in the off season during the summer, the spring and summer where we'd be in the weight room and really trying to get as much power and strength during those times off snow so that we could maintain and build on it when we were on snow, because in ski racing, we're talking about hundreds of a second, which is less than the blink of an eye. That could be the difference between you know, being in the Olympics or not, or getting a gold medal, or actually let's say third, getting third and fourth, like that's the worst, like, Oh man, uh, people like a fourth Olympics.
1: Jeez. That's yeah. not
0: fun. They've actually like done studies, like mental studies about it, that getting fourth is the hardest by far or silver. But I, even the people like it's silver. I'm like, you still got a medal, but I mean, people I say the first loser, which I've never been into, but right. anyway, I digress. What I'm saying is that when I got hooked up with athletic, I checked out the website and it just, absolutely. Like everything athletic does is the highest quality. And I'll have to say that even though I like to joke, I'm a mediocre Olympian, which let's be honest, I am, but I do love excellence. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, if their beer tastes as good as every, like the people that are involved, the production, the graphics, I'm like, there's something to this. And then when I tried the beer, I was hooked. I was like, this is delicious. And um, wow, I'm going in circles. But going back to when I would train, I'd see people work really, really hard and then go out and party really hard. And Mm -hmm. it's like, they would take one step back to take two steps forward. And to me, that never made sense. So I was never, I loved, I loved the ritual of like having drinks after a big workout or a soccer game or whatever, but I never loved the way alcohol made me feel and, um, especially the morning after, like, even if you, and I'm not even talking about be- being drunk, I'm just saying like drinking a little bit of alcohol, it's not good for you. Right. So you wake up and I'd be a little groggy or not as clear and, i would never say that i'm like an adonis and i'm like my body is a temple um i love sugar for instance and that's terrible for you but at the same point i i do like to feel good and the nice thing about um, athletic brewing is i get all the goodness from beer without any of the parts that i was not um thrilled about and i think that's basically what athletic brewing is all about so i'd say that when i met them and we all chatted it was just like we're just a little match made in heaven
1: You mentioned so many good things there. And and I will say, you know, I know Olympians drink us just because you're right. The difference between a lot of times between like the trajectory of being a household name and then being a relative, you know, someone, you know, nobody in a lot of ways, as harsh as that sounds can be, you know, the difference in, in your diet or the difference in a little bit of training uh, especially at that level where you said, you know, tenths of a second or, or milliseconds make all the difference.
0: Totally. Like the lesson of futility where you're like, because there definitely were times where I'm saying like four hundredths from a result I really needed mm-hmm. and four hundred four hundredths of a second, like in your life, that's nothing. So there'd be this push and pull where you don't want to, you don't want to discredit how hard you've been working. And I, and I mentor a couple of young athletes where what I always tell them is I say, i say, you know what? It matters, but it means nothing, which I know sounds like a huge oxymoron. And what I just tell them, I was, I was like, when you don't reach your goals and you've worked really hard, it is okay to grieve that. Like that is natural. You need to go through that because you're disappointed. But remember, at the end of the day, and this is true for basically any sport, because sports are recreation, right? And they're entertainment, and they build character, and there are lots of different things, but they're not the end-all and be-all. There's so much more to life, and especially for young athletes that don't have necessarily the life experience to be able to grapple with some of these huge disappointments. I always tell them it really matters, and I'm not saying it doesn't but it means nothing. And I think that for some athletes that really speaks to them and some it doesn't, but I do make a point of always saying that to them because I know that if someone had told that to me, because the mental part of ski racing was always by far the hardest for me. I put a lot of pressure on myself and I think that it handicapped me in a huge way where if I just had that mentality when I was like 15, 14, 15, 16 years old and was able to really internalize that at a young age, I think I would have been able to do more as a mature elite athlete. Just if I would have allowed myself to really, to understand that it mattered a lot. And it was okay to really care, but it also to be able to be like, you know what, this is fine. It's not a big deal. Like shake it off. Cause I was not great at that when I was a younger athlete.
1: Well, I'm glad you're able to use that to instill and to, to mentor these athletes. And also, you know, one day instill in, in your daughter,
0: Yeah, you know,
1: your mom <laughs> now. And so congratulations. Um, yeah, h- how has that experience been and changed you?
0: Oh, it's amazing. So she is five months. So she's still she's still she's not fresh out of the oven. Um, but she's, she's still warm. You don't have to like the butter would still melt if you. It. <laughs> <Right>. Um, <laughs> It's just been amazing. I think that I will totally admit there was a little bit of trepidation before becoming a mom because being an elite athlete is a super selfish existence. Like, you know, you get to tra- like everything's about you. Um, and it is, it's true. Like, and and sometimes I would struggle with that where I'm like, people be like, "Oh my gosh, it's so great, you give people joy." I'm like, "Are you kidding?" I'm sliding down hills on two wooden boards. Like, there are people that are heroes. I, like, I never thought I was really that, but we don't need to get into that. But um, but man, when Holly was born, it's like, it is just so awesome, man. I would I, I would never tell someone to have it child, unless they're really ready and they're with the right person. Cause that makes it so much better. Um, but she just, I am endlessly fascinated. I'm delighted. Um, she makes me want to do more and be better. So there's this interesting push and pull of like, I still want to push my boundaries as, as an athlete. Um, but at the same time I want to take her along. I don't want to miss anything. Um, so it's like this, um, this balance, right. But I'll just tell you, it is, it's not like, it's unlike anything. Um, and not to say that I wouldn't feel fulfilled or complete not being a mom because I still would have had an amazing life. And I have plenty of friends that have no intention of having kids. And I think that's awesome. The world definitely doesn't need more people. Um, but I feel so lucky that, um, that, I, that she's in my life and it's just so great. Like, oh, I just, just, uh, oh, she's just so great. Like, it's just fun. And I'm, and I think that my biggest adventure will just to see her develop and try to help sort of cultivate who she is because every day a little bit more of her personality is unveiled. And that is just so fun to witness.
1: It is. Wow. That is so cool. So cool. So, so I, I, would love to, um, kind of, I'd love to get into some, some rapid fire questions. It's like five or six questions we ask. You don't have to do one word answers. It can be like a sentence or two. So, so bringing it back to powder days in in your career and the Olympics, what would you say your favorite, peak or high or achievement was in your, uh, Olympic career or skiing career in general?
0: I mean, in my skiing career, the two Olympics, definitely I'm super proud of. And that they, they were just amazing experiences. Um, and then, um, Beyond that, like being in eight Warren Miller movies to a lesser extent, obviously, but within like the skiing world in the United States, there are a lot of people that look forward to those movies every year. And to be able to be a part of that legacy and to share that joy is so much fun. And I really feel lucky that, I, that I'm that i able to do that and that I know know the people and that's become like kind of like a second family. Um, and then also just being able to live live the life I choose, right, where I've been able to carve out this lifestyle where I get to do these amazing things and, um, take people along on my adventures. And I feel, I'm really proud of that. And also I, I really, really feel lucky that I've been able to, to do that because, um, a lot of things fell into place and, and it was hard work, but also it was just good luck too.
1: Do you have a life motto or, or something you tell yourself pretty often?
0: and I absolutely do. I'm a big believer in mantras and just like having one thing. And I found this when I was 19 years old. So it's been like for a long, long time. Um, uh, I was filling out, I was in Austria and I was filling out a card for vocal, my sponsor at the time in a very, very Austrian place. And they, they asked my life philosophy and it just came to me and it was laugh often. It's short and sweet, but there's a lot more to it where if you can laugh every day, like life's pretty good. Like you've been making good choices and you've got the right priorities.
1: Great motto. I really like that short, sweet, simple. And yeah. when you do that. It's, it's life changing. It honestly is yes. to laugh. So what would you say you're most curious about right now outside of outside of skiing?
0: Ooh, you know what? I'd say writing it's funny cause I've never written any, like I've never written a book or anything. Like I've always had the aspiration to, um, but it's super hard. Like I have no doubt, like friends that have written books and they're like, Canon, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Like I completely agree with them. Um, but I really enjoy it and I enjoy speaking. So but <laughs> I don't know if people would really want to listen, but, um, I think that it'd be fun to even just, even if it was just for me, for something that Holly would have to read, Later in life, because you know, as your brain fills up with memories and obligations and con- like all kinds of things, um, I'd love to have something that she could read of, you know, especially her early life. So I'm curious about writing, and I'm also curious about the future of our country. And that's not even political. It's just it seems like we're at a very um, pivotal point in history. Let's put it that way. And curious maybe isn't the right word. I think maybe concerned is also a word. But I really I do have faith in humanity that. Um, that we are, we have enough ingenuity to get us out of the climate change crisis and all these different things. And my hope and and a lot of the work that I do is hopefully that we'll look back and be like 2020 was a turning point.
1: You know, I'd say we're, we're probably mostly optimists, optimistic here too at Athletic. And, and I I think we have what it takes to, to turn just about anything around. And, and, you know, when you sell non-alcoholic beer all day for a living, you, you tend to think of, you know, pretty big audacious goals are doable. So so it totally makes sense. And as an Olympian, you know, other things are more achievable because of those things you've already seen. So that's, that's, that's awesome. What, what is, you know, speaking of that, what is your biggest goal not yet achieved?
0: Biggest goal not yet achieved. That's a really hard one because I have like little goals. Like I want it to be like a big meaty one, right? I guess like maybe writing a book would be a goal that I have that I mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever achieve that one. And I do feel like it's a bit of a narcissistic en- endeavor to feel like what I would write, people would want to read. Um, but then in the mountains, I mean, there's plenty of mountain peaks. Like I'd love to get to the Himalaya. Um, there's all those different things, but it's funny. It's not like a goal. They're like intentions where I'm like, I would love to do that, but it's not like I've set it out. And, and it's funny. At, at, I'm I'm 36. So it's not like, I'm like, Oh, I've done everything in life. Like, it's all gravy. That's not, that's not the way I look <laughs> right, at it at all. Right. Um, it's just, you know what, I guess it's one of those things where what I'm doing right now in skiing as a pro athlete, I'm really enjoyed. And now trying to balance it as a new mom, it's, I guess I'm kind of looking for like my next big endeavor and what that will look like, whether it's business or it's in athletics, or I try to transition into a new part of skiing and becoming more of a mountaineer. I don't know. That's, you know what, I'll, uh, to be continued. I'll, you'll have to have me back on the podcast and I'll, and I'll fill you in.
1: And when you achieve it, <laughs> we'll have you back on. That's, that's you know, that, and it might be the new parent thing. I know for us, we, my wife and I have talked about that a lot in the last year. All right. So the last question and to kind of wrap it all up, what does it mean to you and how do you live without compromise?
0: Um, to live without compromise is to unabashedly be yourself. I think that one of the biggest problems in our world is that there are so few people that have enough courage to really be themselves. And that makes me sad for them because they are limiting their happiness in a huge way. So if there's one thing I could inspire people, whether it's as a pro athlete, a writer, a skier, a mother, is that what like really, like, really is inside of you, like that is beautiful and relevant and worth celebrating.
1: That's awesome. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Without Compromise for sharing some wisdom. You know, sharing some of your experiences, your joy. You're obviously you seem like just such a happy person. It's great. It's great talking to people <laughs> who are happy this year. I mean, it's hard to come by. So yeah, thanks for joining us, and thanks for being a part of the Athletic Brewing community. We love having you part of the team, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really cool to talk to folks like you every other week. So thank you. Ah,
0: oh, thank you so much, Mason, and to all those listening you know, I just keep on keeping on right. That things will get better. Um, and I think that you're right, Mason, there are a lot of people that are struggling right now. And, and that is kind of like what I tell those kids that I mentor. It, uh, it matters, but it means nothing because mm. time will heal and we'll get through this. And I think positivity is a huge part of that. And athletic brewing is all about that. So it is my privilege to be a part of it. So thanks.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, cool. We'll have a great day and uh, enjoy the winter, enjoy the snow, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.